Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 10th, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 11, A Vision for You, and we are at page 155, paragraph 2. Today's readers are Larry, Chelsea, Anita L., and Penny C. The reference number for Tuesday, September 9th, is 6853. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except one to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you. I will now ask Sandy D. to read the 12 Traditions. Hi, this is Sandy D., Recovering Compulsive Overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except 
in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, OA, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing directions in the book book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 155, paragraph 2. I will ask Larry to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Uh, Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Thanks for your service. Um, When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. The spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people with whom he made his livelihood? He would do anything, he said, but that. Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to his home. Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. For him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problem squarely, that God might give him mastery. So, you know, this is, uh, I can really identify with Dr. Bob here. When this uh, practical program of action was first presented to me, 
um, years ago, I, I was also intrigued. You know, I, I mean, how could this spiritual solution not arouse my curiosity? Um, like Dr. Bob, you know, my life was a complete mess. Um, I was a, a slave to my binge substances. I was at the, you know, like was mentioned in a few paragraphs before, I was at the nadir of my alcoholic despair. You know, in my case, with uh, two failed marriages, financial havoc, uh, poor physical and emotional health, um, for me, debilitating anxiety, and, and, and yet complete denial with all this stuff. So thank goodness, you know, for my journaling during that time, because I could go back and read. And after my first week of, of daily meetings, you know, I was on fire. I was convinced that I was getting control of my food situation. I mean, after all, I, was, I, was, uh, I had the passion with the excitement of having some tools in my tool belt, you know. And, uh, you know, the well-intentioned fellowship would love me all the way to my grave. <laughs> I mean, these were beautiful people. Um, the problem was I wasn't presented, in my case, with the true composition of my illness, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, fueled, of course, by an ego that kept me separated from God. You know, I, I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted that Oompa Loompa, Daddy, and I wanted it now, but I wasn't going to get it. And within that first week, I, too, went on a roaring bender. You know, I was reading this morning. My binge spree wasn't pretty. Um, I was knee-deep in, in sugary desserts and piles of salty, savory craziness. And, and I wrote in my journal that if, if there was a God, um, he didn't care about me. You know, I was convinced that whatever this God was, it was, it was this God's fault. And unlike Dr. Bob, my story, you know, um, was, would prove that, that it was nearly another five years of suffering before the disease would bring me to my knees. Because you couldn't convince me, but the disease would. And only then, you know, did I see that I would have to face my problem squarely, as it's mentioned here, you know, that God may give me mastery. And, and what, a, what a paradox for us, you know, that mastery over this disease would come through the deflation of my ego. You know, that was not, I thought mastery came, you know, the same way I, I earned a PhD, you know, become the expert. No, I had to, this was an ego deflating process of humility. You know, any, anyone can recover. You know, God did not abandon a wretch like me. It was amazing that, that I knew that anyone could recover. He brought me to life. He awakened me. And that's the beauty of this program. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, and with that, I'll pass. Okay, who would like to share on this, uh, what Larry read? Kim? Okay, Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm going to pick up on that line. Sometime later, just as he thought he was getting control, of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. And uh, once again, I love the history, and I'm a Jersey girl, and this roaring bender happened in Atlantic City, New Jersey, when Dr. Bob insisted on going to a medical conference, and he had not completed the steps. So when it says sometime later, he's talking about three or four weeks. He's, him and Bill have been working through these steps, and his resistance was he wasn't going to make restitution. He wasn't going to do his eight and nine. You know, and one of the things I, I found... Um, I always thought inventory meant step four because when I read them off the wall, that's all it says is step four is inventory. The inventory process is step through is four through nine. 
if we do not continue with the steps and complete our amends, we, we have not done an inventory. And my experience and what I observe now is that people take so long to get through the steps that it, they're restless, they're irritable, they're discontentment, we're holding our breath underwater. Now, Dr. Bob has been talking about three or four weeks. How many of us stay in our fourth step for three or four months? And, and a year later, we still haven't made any amends. So I'm going to read on page 73 what the big book warns us about. As we're, as we're going from step four into five, it warns us what happens if we don't continue with the steps, which is what Bob is experiencing. It says here, he wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. So what Bob is finding out here is when he doesn't fully clean his house, when he, doesn't, when he thinks that people don't know about his drinking, which is hysterical, and in my case, well, if I don't eat in front of anybody, nobody will notice I'm a size 24, that that inconsistency of trying to live that double life has consequences. And the consequences for you and me, if you are a real compulsive overeater like I am, is we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up. We're going to go in that roaring bender. So they're really slamming home here that we can't do the steps like a hopscotch, skipping around and doing what we want when we want. You know, another common problem I see is people might go through the steps but they, once they're feeling better, which is what he's saying, he had control, he's feeling better, then he only would do this, people will only do the steps when they're really stressed out. When we say we live in 10, 11, and 12, that means this has become a part of the fabric of our lives. And we're being reminded here once again what happens when we do not make this a part of our daily living. So I'll read that one more time. Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Rakefit from California. Okay, Rakefit. Um, I'm Rakefit, recovered compulsive over here from California. I really like, well, I don't like, but I mean, I really, it really resonates with me, the part where he understands that he needs a spiritual experience, that the price is too high, and so he goes out there and has one more binge, and then he's ready to do, because he, he knows there's no other way, there's nothing else that's going to save his life. And that's been the case with me. Unfortunately, I didn't need just one more binge, I needed lots more binges for making me see that what I had to do was everything, everything I had to do. And it started, you know, when I came into the program over 15 years ago, each time I, I, I got some abstinence, then I would relapse. And more, you know, I, after relapse, I'd turn, um, you know, I'd work really, really, really hard to get abstinence again after sometimes weeks or months of binging. It had, to, it had to get so painful that I was ready to try again to get abstinent. And every time I relapsed, I understood that I had to do more. I understood I wasn't doing everything. 
Dr. Bob realized he wasn't doing everything that was required of him to have a spiritual experience. And I realized that too. And the thing is that I knew that that it was here. I knew the answer was here. I knew the answer was in the big book. I knew the answer was somewhere, but I wasn't having access to it. I knew I wasn't doing enough. I knew that God required more of me. I would cry out to God, what more? What more do you want me to do? What more? What more? You know, I didn't, I would feel there was nothing more for me to do, but there always was. There was always something more for me to do. And when I came to a vision for you, it was very clear to me what I had to do. I had to work the steps thoroughly, just as they're laid out in the big book with a recovered sponsor. And I'm so grateful that I did. And the other thing is that, you know, once you know that there is a solution, once you know there's a solution, it is really, really tough to just walk away and give up. I did not walk away. I never, ever gave up. Fifteen years of hell, of relapse, abstinence, relapse, abstinence, fifteen years of that, and I never walked away because I knew, I knew that the only thing that was going to save me was here. The only the only solution was here. And I'm so grateful for that. And I know that I have never seen someone in relapse that didn't want to get recovered, that didn't want to be absent again. Maybe they were in a place where they just weren't ready right now. Maybe they're in a place where they just couldn't put the food down. But I know that they want it. Once you hear and see what people, how people recover in this program, you want it. And it's so painful when you can't get it. It's so painful when you can't get it after you know what it is and that it's out there for you too. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Rekafet. Who else would like to comment on these paragraphs? Okay, well, I'll jump in here. Um, being intrigued, however, I'm sorry, yeah. Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. And, you know, I did that for um, six years in this program. I thought that I was getting things under control, and then I would go back to the food. Um, And I always thought that it was a spree that would end all sprees, but it never was. So, um, you know, I didn't understand the, the twofold nature of this disease, that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And the only way that I could get that was through um, this 12-step process of really understanding the doctor's opinion and understanding that my mind was not like other people's minds. And that once I got abstinent and stayed abstinent and lost the weight, that I wasn't going to turn back into someone who could eat casually, who could pick up the foods that were the same foods that sent me on a binge. And, you know, that was very confusing for me for a long time, but I'm just so grateful that, um, you know, I have clear-cut directions today on what is okay for me to eat and what is not okay for me to eat. And that I have the willingness to be honest if something does become a problem, if there's a food that you know, I start to realize is not something I should be having, then, you know, I discuss it with my sponsor. And that was the missing link for me, is I wanted to keep things to myself. 
you know, as Kim talked about, um, you know, not being willing to go through this whole steps four through nine, you know, and living in 10, 11, and 12, if I just say, um, you know, if there is this little inkling that I can keep something to myself, then I am on a slippery slope. And I am uh, grateful that, you know, I don't do that today. I, I surrender my um, crazy thought life to God on a daily basis. And so I ask God for the mastery. And with that, I'll pass. Uh, who else would like to share? before we move on. Okay, Chelsea, will you pick up uh, one morning and read those two paragraphs? Chelsea, press star one to unmute. Okay, Anita L., are you available to read those next two paragraphs? Yes, I'm here. One morning, he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. He found himself surprisingly well-received and learned that many many knew of his drinking. Stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. He trembled as he went about, for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. You want me to stop there? No, please read the next paragraph also. Okay. At midnight, he came home exhausted, but very happy. He has not had a drink since. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community and the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. Okay, so, um, you know, Dr. Bob was uh, well-received, and he learned that many knew of his drinking. Well, you know, it's quite obvious when, when we're an addict that people know about our disease, or they know that we have a problem with this, and uh, you know, being in denial for years and years for me, uh, I just I thought that um, I could get away with my eating, and that nobody would know that I was the one who had the extra whatever it was, usually a sugar product. Um, especially when I was a young girl, my dad would always say, all right, who ate the cookies or whatever, and uh, nobody would own up to it. And that was because of the shame I felt. And, you know, I knew that I shouldn't be eating those things because I was overweight as it was, and I knew that they would just cause more uh, havoc in my life by eating and putting on the weight and hiding and and it was just it was not a good good thing for me um, and now here he's willing to make the rounds of people he had hurt so now he's doing his ninth step 
And he trembled as he went about, for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. Well, uh, I actually have not made this one amend yet to a supervisor of mine, and and I'm a teacher, and uh, he was my supervisor years ago, but I, you know, I was not the best uh, teacher who I could be because of my food and the way that it interfered with my thinking. Uh, I was a wonderful teacher when it came to working with the children and giving them information that they needed. However, being kind to some of my coworkers, I was not. And there was one particular uh, instance that I was clearly very wrong, and um, I need to make an amends for that. So anyway, uh, I have made many, many of my amends, and I've not only made direct amends, I've made indirect amends to to, uh, situations where I wasn't able to find the people However, the amend that I made, the indirect amend, was directly linked to the situation that I uh, needed to apologize for. I don't know if you can understand what I mean. But regardless, it made me feel on top of the world. Even though you know, I may have been trembling, like it says here, after the amend, I felt so good. So good. So if anyone is hesitant to make their amend, just in my case, it almost always turned out to be such a positive uh, situation. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anita L. Who would like to comment on these two paragraphs? Chelsea. This is Chelsea. Okay, okay Chelsea. Thank you, Sally. Anyone else? Janice? Janice? Yeah. Leah? Leah? There was someone else? Rochelle? Rochelle? Sue G? Okay, let's go with that. Chelsea, you're up. Okay, thanks. Had a glitch with the phone. Okay, so one morning he took the bull by the horns and he set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. And this is part of the requirement that he's doing now that they talked about earlier in the book, and there is a solution. It's on page 25, and I'm paraphrasing, but the exact language you could look at, where the successful consummation of the process requires that we do this part of step, that that we do this step nine work here. And taking the bull by the horns means that um, it's it's an idiom, and it has to do with the way that the cowboys used to um, bring their bulls down so that they could um, lay on their side so that they wouldn't be a threat to them. So doing it means to face it square on, to grasp the issue right away, head on. And after he's done that, he will feel, he says that he, um, he was afraid, which I was too, because I know my experience with this was I had um, some amends to make to um, – family members 
that I felt, uh, you know, just uncomfortable about going to, more than uncomfortable, afraid, downright frightened. But I knew that I had to do what I had to do because I wanted what I wanted, and just wanting it was not enough. And to get the full consummation of the process, I had, this was a requirement. So I had to, had to suck it up. I had to go ahead and do it, afraid or not. So, and another thing it points to here in this information is that Dr. Bob, he got back at midnight. So he took care of it all in one day. He was exhausted, but he was very happy because it's, it's very freeing. And that was my experience, too, each time. And that's why I had called them freedom junkets, because each time I did one, I felt freer and freer and freer and happier and happier and happier. But he went on and did it. That's the point. And also it sp uh, speaks to in this uh, information that was read the major liabilities of 30 years, it says. The major liabilities of uh, 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. The, here we are again, major liabilities. They talked about the grosser handicaps. The, the inventory, we're talking about the inventory process here now and completing it, not to, you know, to bring it full circle. So while it, I, I kind of think of this as like soul surgery, I heard somebody call it that, and I like that term to think of it like that. And I'm afraid to go have it done, but I need to have it done because like it says in that sentence above at the very top of the page is that God had to give him the mastery of it. Remember, King Alcohol was controlling him. They talked about that at the beginning of this chapter. King Alcohol had him, so he was a slave. So in order for him to get mastery of it, not control over it, God had to grant him that. And that was the only way. And he saw that he had to humble himself at this point. And that this was the need. This was establishing the need. And he came to believe at this point that he had to get power to help him resolve this issue. And the only way he can do it <laughs> was to do the entire process to bring it to its full consummation. So it was a question of not tinkering around the edges of the ninth step and stuff. And my experience now shows that you really have, especially working with others now, I'm finding you've got to go ahead and do this work because if not, you will eat. You will eat. There's no question about it because by that time, you starting. You feel so much better and you haven't triggered the allergy, but your, your mind is, is still able to get in there and trick you again to think because you haven't got the power, lack of power. That was our dilemma. So he got it together. He knew what he had to do, and um, he went on and did it, and he did it, and he got the release that he needed and that those major liabilities, he didn't get stuck on all this other stuff that he was, the never columns, the stuff will never do stuff, and he was um, relieved. He was relieved by the power of a source greater than himself, the God of his understanding. King Alcohol was dethroned at that moment. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Chelsea. Sally, you're next. Thank you. Sally in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I really just love the way we see the, um, the progression of this man's recovery. It's just a beautiful thing. And it should speak to all of us that, that everywhere, whoever you are, whatever you're in the midst of, it is part of who, who you are and part of your recovery. And we see, as we look back just a little bit, we see that he would do, he would do anything, he said, but that. Not that. 
we saw that on the last page, and then we came to this point where he had this incredible roaring bender, and that is what took this man to his knees, and he would even do that to never have that happen again. He just knew the pain, the pain of the bender was driving him to do what he thought he could never do. And now we see him at this point where he's decided, that's it. I'm going to do what I have to do here. And, you know, when I see this part here where he says, one morning I took, he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared, to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. He knew, it doesn't matter. I don't care what the fear is. I can never have another roaring bender like that again. That is this man that's reached desperation is the point where he where you know i i come to realize that when we are blocked when we are blocked from the sunlight of god helping us what really brings us to desperation is when we realize that we're in like a firing of a burning building that when you have never cried out to god but you're surrounded by fire in a building then in desperation you will say oh god help me and that's what happened to this man. He went on that roaring bender, and that took him to his knees to a place where he was willing, finally open and willing to do whatever it took to never be in such pain again. So I want to direct you to 37, page 37, that, that second paragraph, which really shows us the epitome of this guy's thinking. About halfway down it says, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. This man realized that he had this mental obsession was driving him back to the food, and he had to finally take a look at the Tupperware cabinet, at the marbles rolling around in his brain, and finally put them to rest. If you look at page 35, at the very top of the page, 35, the very top of the page, so we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. This guy knew after that, after he had that boring bender, Dr. Bob knew I've got to take care of business because he knew that if he did not take care of his four-step inventory and beyond that, go and do his step nine work and go and face these people who he sees here, he sees that these people knew the thing that he was most afraid of, to fess up to who he was and what was going on. But as he made the rounds to these people, he found out they knew, they always knew. What, you know, it says we're only as sick as our secrets. The fact of the matter is people know something is wrong, so we've got to get well. And that is this great gift that we give to the world around us as we become recovered and we become recreated and reorganized and become the people that God intended us when he first created us in our mother's womb, who God intended us to be. That's what this is about. Get recovered. Put the food down, as this guy did after his roaring bender. Whatever day you're in, whatever state you're in, today is the day. Put the food down 
and get recovered, go through these steps. Look at the magnificent change in this guy. We get a glimpse right here at the full process, the roaring bender, the face-to-face with God, the realizing who he was, and going straight through to step nine quickly to get the marbles of page 33, 35, 37, the crux of the matter, to, to, to take these marbles, to throw them in the garbage once and for all, to put them, to lay them aside, and to live in a place of peace, finally, in a state of recovered. Thanks for letting me share with that I passed. Thank you, Sally. Janice M. Janice, um, press star one to unmute. Yes. Um, it's good morning to you, Katie. I'm going to have to pass, okay? Thank you. Okay. Leah, are you available? Hi. Thank you, Katie, very much for your service. Uh, he has not had a drink since. You know, important to remember, uh, you know, Dr. Bob, you know, recovered, Um that was the result of these steps, you know, being transformed, having a psychic change. Uh, Dr. Bob, you know, June 10th, 1935, was his first day of permanent sobriety. He never found it necessary to pick up that first drink again. It says, as we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community, and the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. I mean, you know, Dr. Bob, you know, was suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience was going to conquer. And, uh, you know, he had a mind that kept taking him back to that which was killing me. This, you know, once he had that roaring bender and saw that, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, for him that that was the spree that ended all sprees, um, you know, he saw that this was not about pursuing temporary respite. He needed salvation. He needed salvation. He was looking to be recovered. And did it matter whether he felt like pursuing these steps, implementing steps? No, because the feelings are a trap in the spiritual life. God either is or he isn't, whether you feel it or not. And we, uh, you know, feelings are totally irrelevant. What's, ir- what's relevant in this business of recovery is what you do. And so, of course, he did uh, go ahead and follow through on these steps, and that's exactly uh, what all of us need to do. Because it, once we, um, you know, separate from our binge foods or, for Dr. Bob, put the plug in the jug, uh, we have to find a way to live. We have to find a l- way to live with peace of mind, with serenity, and with happiness. And every day that we procrastinate and put off these steps, particularly steps four through nine, it's another day that we're restless, irritable, and discontent. It's another day that we're filled with guilt, filled with shame, filled with remorse. And of course, our mind is going to allow us to feel that way for just so long until we start seeking relief and thinking about the sense of ease and comfort that we get when we take a few uh, drinks in Dr. Bob's case. So that restitution and the leveling of pride can't be avoided if Dr. Bob was going to recover. And of course, as we see here, he did do exactly as he was instructed to do. And 
the result was what? The result was a spiritual awakening, a change, a revolutionary change in the way Dr. Bob thought, in the way Dr. Bob felt, and especially in the way he behaved. And what distinguished this 12-step process from other things that he was doing was that this change was done to him. It was done to him uh, by the master's hand. And of course, because of that step process, there was a natural progression. As you see, he was turned inside out from a life-taking habit of self-obsession and pursuing a drink to a life-giving desire to be of service for others. And that is a result of the program of recovery. He got free of the ism. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And now, Rochelle, you're up. Hi, good morning. This is Rochelle. Oh, my goodness. I don't have a lot to add because everybody before me has been so eloquent. And, uh, and I feel like the the, the uh, fledgling comedian who comes on after the great ones. You know. So um, anyway, here's what I have to say. <sighs> when I envision uh, this fellow uh, before he made his amends, I, I see him in my mind's eye. I don't know what he looked like, but... I understand how he felt, and when I see him afterwards in my mind's eye, I see him standing tall, and as if he just had a scrubbing, and his hair is shiny and wet and dripping, and he's clean, and he's standing tall, and he's smiling, because he's been cleansed of all the dirt of how he had been living, and um, what I remember being in program early... And I didn't have, uh, hadn't gone through the fourth step yet. Yet I saw people who had been through their fourth step, and they seem like there's, there's something there. There's something that they have that I want. And even though I understood that um, going through the process was scary and uh, ego smashing, I felt it was going to probably be worth it because I wanted the recovery that they had. And then I found myself a fourth-step sponsor. I did my fourth step, I guess what you call it, fifth step, and, and so on and so forth. And I remember when I was making my amends further on, even though it was scary, the feeling that I had afterwards was one of standing tall and being strong and being relieved of the burdens that I had been carrying over the years. And it was such a freeing process especially when they made amends to people who I had harmed and uh, and how they took it in general, you know. And uh, and I've been living a freer life since then. So I really identify with these paragraphs. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Sue, Sue G. And then who was that? Mary. Okay, Sue. Hi. Okay. Okay, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, Suji is going to be next, then Mary, then Raya, then Haya. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I don't know how to spell that, but okay. Okay, uh, Suji, you're next. Hello, fellows. This is Suji, recovered in suburban Philadelphia, gratefully. And I am having moments of extreme identification with this story. I always thought I identified with Bill. I identify with Bob, because guess what? 
I too am a physician, and I am remembering something that was a lesson in utter powerlessness in which in one of my periods of not being defiant, and I was thin for quite a while and eating properly, <laughs> I was an intern in on a rotating internship which involved um, doing medicine and surgery. And we had a moment, we, and we were the, you know, the, the, uh, the doctors in the profession, you were the low man on the totem pole, and I was the lowest of the low because I was going to be doing a residency in psychiatry. Uh, the surgeons were perhaps at the top of the list, like Dr. Bob, but as Charlie, Joe and Charlie said, he didn't want him operating on his proxo, <laughs> that uh, um, better to be over your alcoholism before you're doing surgery. Well, in this moment, we one day, a bunch of us, uh, budding trainees, I mean, budding young doctors, we were doctors then, we were on ramp, and we came to a man who was there for elective surgery, just to have a hernia repaired, and one of us young doctors took his femoral pulse, and there was not, no pulse in his leg. This is very serious, because he had a pulse the day before, so we called the, the vascular surgeon who came and took him immediately up to the OR, and he was a hopeless case. He could not have his blood clot, which was a huge one in his body, fixed surgically. There was nothing at that time, which was in the early 70s, that could be done for him. It was a death sentence. He was done for. And... The, the more experienced doctors gave him the information, the less experienced did, and then I was the one left by my very gifted chief resident who said, you are going to stay with this guy and sit with him and, and, and stay with him for a while because you're going to be the shrink. So, so I'm going, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? But I just, I went, I followed orders. I sat down in a chair. The man's wife was in the room. The man said to his wife, this is horrible news. You go to the cafeteria, have a cup of coffee, sit down, relax, because I'm going to need you in this room after you rest up, because this is awful. And she said, okay, dear, and down she went. And there I was, and he, he beckoned me to the bed, and what he said to me, I'll just never forget it. He said, would you please hold my hand? And that's what I did. And that was an experience of the utter acceptance of powerlessness and the presence of God in that room. And I thought about that over and over for years. That, and, and that's like, that's remembering what I already knew in my program of recovery in OA, that, that my vulnerability to the eating disorder, and yes, I could at any moment pick up again if I don't practice my 12 steps. 1 through 12, in order, if I don't practice them, I can be rendered not only powerless, but hopeless. And I don't want to do that. And, and that moment with that patient, I, I had the power of the, the medical priesthood was there with me. And, and then the, the wife came back and, and I left and we, the team came back, as we do periodically. And, and the and he did die, and that was terrible, and he was given painkillers as best that he could, and that was terrible too, but that was it. But what an experience. 
I, and I wouldn't want to have missed it for the world, and it shaped me. And I am so grateful for that and so grateful to OA for the relief from the powerlessness of the, the addiction. So thanks for letting me share, I pass. Thank you, Suji. Okay, Mary, you're next. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Mary, Mary A., Mary from New Jersey. And I'm just so grateful for these readings with how we all started with uh, Bill and Bob. <clears throat> what I'd like to share about is that, you know, 10 months, I just had my abstinence, excuse me, my throat this morning for 10 months. And if I had come on this line uh, 10 months ago and heard screaming in my ear, you're going to pick up, you're going to pick up, you're going to pick up, you know, put down that food, put down that food, put down that food, do these 12 steps. I don't think I'd be where I am today because everything I've learned is that it's from a power greater than myself and we share our own personal experiences and we stay in the eye. And I just find that just so disconcerting because I know these men did not, did not give up alcohol because people screaming that in their ears. So thanks for listening. Okay, thank you, Mary. Um, Rabia, you're next. Good morning, everyone. This is Rabia from New York. I am a recovered compulsive overeater and, as always, so grateful to be on the line with all of you this morning. And I'm filled with so much hope um, because he has not had a drink since. And and I really do feel this morning that, that I, I have had my last alcoholic food one day at a time, um, which was this past March, the first week. My last roaring bender was Oscar's weekend. I had I planned quite a roaring spree uh, for myself, and um, and and I was so desperate that I was actually willing to come back to Overeaters Anonymous because I was getting fat very fast. Um, and so I, I was willing to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. That's how desperate I was, and weigh and measure my food. I mean, that that really in my life was the sign of desperation. And and through those 90 meet, face-to-face meetings in 90 days, 30 days later, I found God guided me to a vision for you, and that was April. And I got a big book guide, and um, I haven't had an alcoholic food. Uh, since then, and now I'm living in the world of recovered, and it's so beautiful. And one day at a time, I honestly do believe that I don't have to have an alcoholic drink again because for the first time ever, you know, I went beyond making my amends. I made my amends, and now I'm actually living in the beauty of 10, 11, and 12. And, And I'll end by saying... He now means a great deal to his community, and in this very little time, I feel like a member of this community, this A Vision for You community, and I really do feel like I belong here and I make a contribution. People call me. Um, I call others. We do 10 steps together. Uh, You know, it's a very real life for me. It's a very real, vital 
um, vibrant community, and and I and I love having all you visionaries in my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rabia. Okay, Haya, your turn. Hi, thank you. Thank you. It's C H A Y A. By the way, that's how you spell Haya. Um, hi, everybody. This is Haya. Very grateful. Recovered compulsive eater and bulimic in Denver, Colorado. I just have one thing to share on this. You know, when Dr. Bob had that binge, he did not say, oh, okay, Bill. And Bill didn't say, okay, got to go back to the doctor's opinion. Start from step one again, right? He said, go finish your amends, right? That's what Bob was like, go finish my amends. He set out, he ran, he did those amends. And he's never had a drink since. I cannot count on my hands and toes the amount of people that I've taken through the steps that stop at step nine. And then they eat, and then they wonder why. And they say, finish your amends. And they go, oh, but no, but it's really step one. I have to go back to step one. Finish your amends. That's what Dr. Bob did. He never had a drink since. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Haya. Okay, who else would like to share? We have time for one more person. Dawn W. Okay, Dawn, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I so appreciate everything everyone has said. Uh, I'm not recovered. I have less than 24 hours of abstinence, so I'm a complete baby and just trying to be curious and take notes uh, from every everyone and your words. And I found a vision for you about um, a month ago, and it was news to me that you could have a four-step sponsor because I haven't found a regular sponsor yet. So whoever mentioned that, I want to thank them very much. I actually just started it on my own, and I did see some uh, character changes right away. Uh, so um, based on this conversation today, I'm not going to pick up any food. I'm weighing and measuring, and I'm going to be squeaky clean, and uh, I'm going to jump right back on that fourth step. And I want to thank you so much, everyone, for your service. Have a great day, and I pass. Okay, we do have time for one more share if someone would like to jump in there. Okay, well, let's just go on then. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him 
and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.